about somebody you can try to work on this week. All right, very good. All right, good. Um, hopefully more of us get involved in that, right, and uh, try, to, try to do that. Um, take your Bibles tonight, open to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, a couple weeks ago we started looking um, in this area of being a strong witness as far as discipleship and uh, talking about discipleship and how important that is um, as being part of the Great Commission. Um, We have the Great Commission, of course, we are to go. Um, That means we have to take action. Uh, There's something we have to do. Uh, We are to win, teaching all nations. That's telling them about Jesus Christ um, and uh, trying to share the gospel with someone and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And so there's that discipleship, making um, uh, disciples and then teaching them, instructing them in, uh, in, um, in growing in Christ. And again, um, it's not just about learning. Uh, we're not just trying to gain information, uh, but we're learning with the intent to actually obey and to be obedient to what Christ has, has told us. Um, and so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want you to notice in verse number 2, Well, you can just start at verse number one. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So think about what Paul is saying here as he's writing to Timothy, uh, his son in the faith, uh, one that he kind of took alongside and began to mentor and to teach and, and to train him. And uh, he says, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So notice there's kind of three parts to this. And he's talking about the things that he has heard, right? As Timothy was along with the Apostle Paul on his journeys, and he would hear uh, Paul preaching, and then as questions would be answered, then he would hear how Paul would respond, and then uh, then he would be able to go out and do some of that as well, and come back and kind of uh, tell what happened and things. So Paul says, the things that, that you have heard of me, the things that uh, the message and, and how he's been doing things, he says, the same, those same things commit to faithful men. So he says, those things that you have learned Then he says, I want you to take those same things and I want you to commit that or teach that to faithful men. You find others, just like uh, if you think about Paul, he always had someone with him wherever he went, Um, whether it was Timothy, whether it was uh, Tychicus, whether it was Titus, whether it was Trophimus. I mean, there was always somebody, even Demas, the Bible says, and many times we just think of Demas in a negative aspect because he forsook Paul in the ministry, but even Demas went on many missionary journeys with Paul and and was learning those things. And so Paul says, look, you've seen me do this. You've seen me take uh, other young people, young men and other men and, and teach them and train them. And he says, now you do the same thing. Commit thou to faithful men. And then notice what he says, who shall be able to teach others also. So there's the the learning aspect, then there's the teaching aspect, and then there's the the reproducing aspect of it, right? I'm teaching it to them so that then they will be able to go and teach others, okay? So this is um, really, if you think about it, it's really kind of a pattern for discipleship. And, uh, and this is something that we find, of course, the Lord Jesus did as well. What did he do? He took those, uh, the disciples with him. He taught them. 
They learned from him, and then he sent them out so that they could teach others and that they were able to teach those that they taught were now able to teach others as well. Um, and so this is a pattern that we see <clears throat> all throughout uh, the New Testament. So I want to ask you a question before we kind of get into some of this tonight, and I really want you to think about this question. Please don't answer it out loud, right? Um, but here's my question. How are you, and I'm talking about individually, not talking about a church corporately, I'm talking about you individually, how are you involved in discipleship? So think about that with me. How are you, as an individual, how are you involved in discipleship? Because if we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then that means every one of us ought to be involved in discipleship. Every one of us ought to be involved in some aspect of discipleship. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand, right? Sometimes we can think discipleship is only one thing, and that's just teaching, right? Discipleship is teaching, although that is very much a part of it, right? But evangelism and discipleship are not two separate things. Sometimes we, we separate the two. We think evangelism, and then we think, think of discipleship, right? But discipleship really begins with evangelism. If you do not evangelize, if you are not helping people come to know Christ as their Savior, then who, are, who is there going to be to disciple? Right? We get this idea that discipleship is just teaching. Again, there's an aspect of that, but we have to understand that evangelism is a key component in discipleship. Okay? Because if there is no one there to disciple, you don't have discipleship. Okay? Uh, there has to be someone to disciple. Think about what Paul says to Timothy. The things that you have learned from me. So what? There was somebody involved in discipleship. And then what does he say? The same commit thou to faithful men. There's somebody involved in discipleship, right? There has to be somebody there for discipleship to work, okay? And so how are you involved in discipleship? Because we, if we aren't involved in evangelism, then are we even involved in discipleship? If we're not involved in getting the gospel to people, then again, think with me, who is going to be there to disciple? Now, I understand that not necessarily everybody feels equipped to teach people, right? I understand that. Everybody says, you know, well, you know, there are some people that are, you know, able to teach others, and, and some people just don't feel quite capable of being able to teach people. I understand that. But every one of us, again, we have to remember, what is the Great Commission? And who is that Great Commission given to? The Great Commission says we are to go into all the world, right? We're to go and teach all nations, right? That means every one of us as Christians have been given the command to go, right? And every one of us have been given the command to try to disciple people and help them to grow in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Um, and so we have to understand discipleship and evangelism are not two separate things. They, they work hand in hand together, right? That's one of the reasons why, uh, what are we doing on Thursday? We're having an outreach, right? What are we doing? We're trying to go out and we're trying to reach people with the gospel, okay? We're trying to invite them to church. Um, if an opportunity presents itself, be able to share Christ with them, uh, but at least get our foot into the door and say, hey, there's a church here in the community that cares about you and we'd love to have you come visit us. And so we're at least trying to, to get the word out, right? 
And, and so we're trying to do this. Now, what's the purpose of outreach? Is the purpose of outreach just so that everybody knows about First Baptist Church? No, of course not. Is it to be able to, uh, you know, to try to get more people in so that we can build a bigger and bigger, bigger church? No, it's not that either. The purpose of outreach is to try to reach people with the gospel, right? We want to try to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's that part of evangelism. That's that going. But then as people start coming to know Christ, we want to help them to grow spiritually in their walk with him. We want to help to teach them those things, just as Paul says, right? Now, think about this. Discipleship takes time. Again, whether that's evangelism or whether that's actually sitting down teaching somebody, it takes time, okay? Um, most of the time, you're not going to be able to lead someone to Jesus Christ the very first time you present the gospel to them, right? That's, that's going to be very rare, right? Usually what happens is somebody else has maybe shared the gospel with them, and maybe they didn't accept Christ at that time, or maybe they were in a church service and they heard uh, the message being preached, but they didn't accept Christ at that time. But the seed was planted and the seed was watered until finally there comes a point when the gospel is given, they say, yes, I'm ready to accept Jesus Christ. Okay? And that's why, again, it's so important that we're constantly planting the seeds, we're constantly planting the seeds, we're constantly watering the seeds, because we don't know when a person is going to accept Christ. We don't know when a person is going to accept Christ, right? Just, just by a show of hands, and, and again, uh, you know, adults, teenagers, think about this question before you, before you raise your hand. Uh, young people, you don't have to do this right now. But how many of you, teenagers and adults, right, you accepted Christ the very first time you ever heard the gospel? Anybody? Two. Think about that. Two out of this whole group here tonight. Only two people accepted Christ the very first time they heard the gospel. Not good numbers, right? Right? Again, it's not that that's a bad thing. It's just most of the time that's not going to happen. And sometimes we get this idea, if I share the gospel with somebody and they don't get saved that time, well, then I guess they're never going to get saved. Or they're, they're, I, I have failed somehow, right? So because the rest of us, I didn't get saved the first time I heard the gospel. So because the rest of us did not get saved the first time we heard the gospel, we all died and went to hell, right? Well, no, of course not, right? Maybe it was the second time, or maybe it was the third time, or the fourth time, or the fifth time, or maybe it took 20 times, right? Maybe it took 20 years. We don't know. I don't know how many times it took for you. I know what it took for me. But here's the thing. I'm glad that nobody gave up on me. I'm glad that the gospel was continuously being given to me. And there was a time when I finally did make that decision to put my faith and trust in Christ. Okay. And so we have to understand just because somebody doesn't get saved the first time we share the gospel with them doesn't mean that we have failed. No. What are we doing? We're watering that seed. We're, we're, we're watering the seed or we're planting the seed so that they will come to know Christ one day. Right. And so that takes time. So just as much as evangelism takes time, so also does discipleship. Right. I think we I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Discipleship, when we think about discipleship and training and teaching someone and helping them grow spiritually, it never ends. It never ends. We're always growing spiritually. Right. We're always trying to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And we're going to we're going to look at that in just a moment. I want you to think about what Mark in Mark, chapter three. In Mark, chapter three. 
Notice what he says in verse number 14. And he, that's Jesus, ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. Mark chapter 3, verse number 14, right? You say, well, what's, what's so significant about this verse? Oh, well, this is where he is sending them out. No, that's not what's significant about this verse. Oh, it's, he's ordaining the 12. No, that's not what's significant about this verse. What's significant about this verse is two words. Two words. Watch what he says here. He ordained 12 that they should be, and what are those next two words? With him. With him. Why did they need to be with Jesus? Because they needed to learn. They needed to learn. Before they could be sent out, they needed to learn. What is Paul telling Timothy? What we just saw in 2 Timothy. The things that thou hast heard of, among, uh, among, uh, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Hey, Timothy, you need to find some men and you're going to teach them and it's going to take some time. You need to be with them, but you teach them so that then they are able to go out and to teach others also, Right? This takes time. It doesn't matter whether it's evangelism and trying to reach people with the gospel or whether it's teaching them after they've accepted Christ. It takes time. Think about Jesus spent three and a half years with the 12. Three and a half years with the 12 disciples there. Was that enough time? We would think, man, that's not not enough time. Well, obviously Jesus thought it was enough time. I mean, if Jesus thought he needed five years with him, he would have spent five years with him. If he thought he needed 10 years, he would have spent 10 years. But he spent three and a half years teaching them. And then he says, all right, now you're going to go out. Now you're going to start teaching others. Okay? They're going to be able to go out. Now, why, why is it that there's so much time involved in evangelism um, and in discipleship? Why do we see that? Even Jesus spending three and a half years uh, with the disciples. Because here's the thing about discipleship. Here's the thing about the Great Commission, right? And here's what I want you to think about tonight. The reason that there is so much time is the goal that we want to be realized and have to understand is that this is a long-term process because the goal is multiplication. The goal is we are trying to multiply disciples. What we're trying to do is we are trying to multiply spiritual reproducers. Okay? Now, we're just going to be we're just going to be really really open and honest tonight, okay? Most churches are not spiritually reproducing people. Okay? I told you I'm going to be really honest tonight. Most Christians are not spiritually reproducing people. Oh, but pastor, that's your job. Wait, wait a second. Where was the Great Commission given to pastors only? Well, that's the missionary's job. No, no, wait a second. No, no, no. He, when he says this Great Commission, who is this Great Commission being given to? It's being given to the church. How many of you are part of the church tonight? I'm not talking about First Baptist Church. I'm, part of, I'm talking about the church. You're talking about the body of Christ. You're saved. You're, how many tonight? You're saved? Guess what? That includes you. you. You and me. We're in this together, right? We're in this together. So we together are to be spiritually reproducing. We are to be multiplying, right? 
And, and here's the thing, that the 21st century dilemma in discipleship is this. Here it is. Here's the dilemma in 21st century discipleship. We're too busy. We're too busy. We have lost our purpose. Do you understand tonight? Our purpose here is not to work a job. Our our purpose here is not to raise a family. Our purpose here is not retirement. Now, none of those things are wrong. It's good to work a job. It's great to raise a family. It's good to have retirement. But none of those things are our purpose. What is our purpose? Our purpose is the Great Commission. Our purpose is to be reaching people with the gospel and then teaching them and training them so that they can be able to reach people with the gospel. You see, if we don't understand our purpose here, then we'll never fulfill our purpose. Until we have a change of mind, until we're able to reevaluate our mission and say, wait a minute, I have to deprogram my, myself, right? Because we have been programmed that your whole purpose is to get a good job and make money and provide for your family and make sure you have enough for retirement and live good and have all the nice things. That's your purpose. Wrong. That's the purpose of the world. That's not Christian's purpose. That's not the purpose that Christ has for us. Now, again, please understand, I'm not saying a job is wrong. I'm not saying retirement's wrong. I'm not saying a family's wrong. I'm not saying a career is wrong and retirement's wrong. Those, none of those things are wrong, but that's not our purpose. And what happens is we get so busy with these things that are not our purpose in life that we fail to be able to fulfill our real purpose. And that is discipleship. That is reaching people with the gospel, evangelism, teaching them, helping them to grow. You say, but pastor, that's just, that's just not me. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. How can we say that that's not me when Jesus Christ has given us that great commission? And not only did he give us the great commission, he also gives us the Holy Spirit. What did he say in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8? And ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, I'm giving you the commission to what you're supposed to do, and I'm also giving you the power to do it. Okay. So he's given us the plan, and he's given us the power. So what's our excuse? Well, I just don't have time. I'm just too busy then you're too busy doing the wrong thing. We're too busy doing the wrong things. Because our purpose is to fulfill the Great Commission. And that takes time. Time to evangelize. Time to teach. Time to disciple. And and to follow Jesus' plan and multiply disciples It depends on spiritually mature, well-trained disciples. In order to fulfill the Great Commission, we have to have spiritually mature, well-trained disciples to be able to disciple other people. 
Again, our purpose is multiplication. We're trying to multiply here, right? Um, I'm going to see if I can give you a... Uh, let me see if I can do this. I have a... Uh, well, come on. There we go. Think with me about this. We're thinking about multiplication, right? If you had a choice, don't get ahead of me with this. Just follow along. If you were given two choices, one, you could either get $1 a week for 52 weeks, or two, you could get one penny the first week. And then every week after that would be multiplied. So the first week you get one penny. The second week, guess how many pennies you get? You guys are so smart. I am just so impressed. Then the third week you get how many pennies? Man, you guys really did learn in school. This is awesome. I'm so proud of you. Right? Who said homeschoolers couldn't learn, right? I'm telling you, right? And then the fourth week, you get how many? I should have stopped at week three. Should have stopped at week three. If you had four on week three and you multiply that. Okay. Anyway. Wow. So let's think about this. What would you rather have? A dollar a week for 52 weeks or a penny multiplied by itself every week? Do you really know what the difference is, though? How many, how many think you really know? Some of you are trying to pull out your phones and pull out your calculators. Don't do that. That's cheating, right? You're trying to ruin my point here, right? What do you think the amount would be if you simply took a penny and multiplied it by itself for 52 weeks? Anybody have an idea? Without, without cheating? $5.3 million. That's a very specific number, $5.3 million. Did you cheat? Well, if you took a dollar a week, guess what you would have after 52 weeks? I was really hoping you would say that. You would have $52. If you took a penny a week, and multiplied it by itself, you would have 22 zillion, 517 billion, 998 million, 136,852 dollars and 48 cents. I think I would go for the penny. (laughs) Why? Because multiplication. Now, again, you think about it. The first week or two, guess what? Man, getting a dollar, getting a penny. Next week, I've got $2. I got two pennies. Next week, I got $4. I got four pennies. This doesn't seem to be working. Maybe, maybe addition is. But if you're thinking long term, no, no, no. You don't want addition. You want multiplication. Wouldn't you like that number right there? 
if you were able to, and again, this is just for a point, if you were able to lead 1,000 people to Christ every day, at the end of the first year, you would have how many people you have led to Christ? That would be 365,000, right? But if you just took and led one person to Christ that first year, you would have one. If that's all you did, was you led one person to Christ one year, you'd have one, one person. But if you were to take that year and teach that person and train that person and help them and create a spiritual reproducer, right? Again, the first couple years, by year two, you're going to have, if you're winning 1,000 people a day, you're going to have 730,000. After year two, you're going to have four disciplers. Like, this is not going well. Four disciples compared to 730,000. By year 10, you're going to have 3,650,000 people that you've led to Christ if you're leading 1,000 people to Christ. You know how many disciples you'd have? 1,000. After 10 years. You'd say, but it's still not going well, right? I mean, you're talking 3.5 million people led to Christ compared to 1,000 people led to Christ. Must be addition is better. Well, if you're thinking short-term. But if you're thinking long-term, by year... Where am I at here? Hold on. By year 20, you would have 7.3 million people that you had led to Christ if you were leading 1,000 people to Christ every year. But by year 20, if we were able to... Disciple. Just we're talking just one person and then disciple them. And now there's two in the next year, and you disciple them, and now there's four in the next year, and you disciple them. By year 20, you would actually have now 33,554,432 people after 20 years. You say, Pastor, is this is this really is this really legitimate? Obviously, I understand you're not going to win 1,000 people to Christ every year. I get that, right? We're not, we're not going to do that individually, right? But think about what could happen if we would simply follow Christ's pattern in multiplication and recognizing and realizing that if we would win people to Christ, even if it's just one person a year, but then invest in that person and disciple them and help to teach them and help to train them, what could be done to follow Christ's plan and multiply disciples? Again, we need spiritually mature, well-trained disciples because disciples that are well-trained are not mass-produced. I see you know, churches and, and things. And again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that I'm against people getting saved. I'm not against people getting saved. Well, we had 5,000 people saved this year. Praise God, 5,000 people saved. Wonderful. I'm sure you've had to build a new building, right? Well, no, we're running 300 on Sundays. Wait a minute. What, what happened? If you had 5,000 people get saved... And you're only, you only have 300 in church. Where are the other 
4,700. Well, we're just about evangelism. Well, evangelism is just the beginning. Where are those people if we don't teach them and train them? And here's the sad truth, friend. I don't know if you know this, but you know what happens to many Christians? That I, I believe that many of them that are, that are led to Christ and they come to know Christ as their Savior, but there's no discipleship. You know what happens to them? The cults get them. The cults come in and they start showing time. They give time to them. They start teaching them, hey, we'll have a Bible study in your home. We'll, we'll invest in you. And they start teaching them. And what are they doing? They're being taught false doctrine. And we have lost them because now they're swept up in these cults where if we would have just taken the time to really teach them and train them and, and help them to, to grow in their faith. Now, again, there are those that would say that Jesus is coming soon. So we should just win everyone that we can and not worry about discipleship. We know Jesus is coming back, right? Jesus is coming back soon. And so let's just win everybody we can. Don't worry about discipleship. Just win everybody we can to Jesus. And that sounds good. Again, I'm not against winning people to Jesus. Don't misunderstand me, okay? But do you understand? I have been hearing Jesus is coming back soon since I was three years old. Since I was able to understand what, what words meant, I've been hearing Jesus is coming back soon for three years. He hasn't come yet. That means for 40 years. What have we done in discipleship? We're just going to win people. Wait a minute. What could have happened in 40 years if Christians and churches would have said, hey, we're going to follow Christ's example and we're going to just see people saved? Yes, but then we're going to take them and we're going to train them and we're going to disciple them and help them to grow in their spiritual walk. Where would we be at today? This is at 20 years. Where would we be at at 40 years? Well, at year 33, we would actually be at 8 billion 589,934,592. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there's only about 8 billion people in the world today, isn't there? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that I, that I think that, it's, that we can reach everyone and disciple everyone. That's not my intent tonight. Don't, don't go out thinking, oh, man, pastor's asking a, you know, this incredible thing that we have to, in 40 years, we have to reach everybody in the world for Jesus Christ and everybody has to be discipled. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if we don't do anything, nothing will happen. If we just say, well, that's the missionary's job, if that's the preacher's job, guess what's going to happen? Nothing. It's not, it, we're not going to accomplish anything. Oh, yeah, the missionary may be able to accomplish some things and the preacher might be able to accomplish some things. But how much more could be accomplished if everyone who has been given the commission would obey? If everyone would try to reach people with the gospel. I mean, can you imagine if, if everybody in our church just had to go, you know what? This year, I just want to try to bring one person. One. That's it. One person to Jesus Christ this year. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to try to bring one person to Jesus Christ, but that person that I bring to Jesus Christ, I'm going to invest everything I can in them. 
I'm going to disciple them. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to have them with me so that they can learn and they can grow. So that by year two, guess what? I'm trying to have spiritually reproduced so that there's somebody else along with me that's going to be able to go out and try to reach people with the gospel. If we just had one, the next year, guess what? Now there's two of us. And if next year each of us just get one, then the next year now there's four of us. And it just continues to multiply. You say, well, what about Jesus coming? He's still coming. And guess what? There's still people that need to be reached. You see, we we use the excuse Jesus is coming so that we just don't do anything. We're not going to disciple and we're not even going to evangelize. Well, I just, you know, it's just going to take too much time to disciple people. So we're just not going to do anything. Well, evangelism is part of discipleship. And we ought to be trying to reach people. Look, I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, this easy believism, one, two, three, repeat after me type of prayers. I think you know me better than that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about clearly presenting the gospel and helping somebody to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And yes, again, as I said, the first time they may not accept Christ. But the more that the gospel is given and the more doors we knock on and the more people we try to reach at work and the more people we try to reach in our neighborhood, somebody's going to come to know Christ. Now, who's going to disciple them? Who's going to help them to become that person next year that now they're going to be able to try to reach somebody else? Well, that's your job, preacher. No. Remember what we read in Ephesians chapter 4? What, you know what the pastor's job is? That's perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Believe me, I love discipleship. I love sitting down one-on-one with people and going through discipleship. I mean, I, I, you can ask my wife and my family, I'd, I'd rather do that than almost anything, maybe other than preaching. I love to do that. But that's not just my job. That's for every single one of us. Every one of us. And if we're not doing that, if we're not involved in discipleship, whether that's evangelizing or helping to teach somebody to grow, then what are we doing? Remember, we're talking about being strong disciples. You understand that there were many disciples there that day? Go with me to Matthew, or excuse me, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, notice what he says in verse number 13. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, plural. And of them, plural, he chose 12, whom also he named apostles. Think about it. There were many disciples that were there. Many disciples. But he chose 12. And he said, I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to, I'm going to invest everything I have into these 12 so that they will be able to go out and teach others. And because Jesus was willing to invest in those men, do you understand that's why we have the gospel today? Because Jesus invested in those men and then those men took other men like Titus and Timothy and others and invested in them and taught them the gospel. And that's why we have the gospel today is because people were willing to invest and take time in the lives of other people and share with them how they can grow 
in Christ. Look, look in Ephesians chapter 4. We don't have time to do a lot here in Ephesians chapter 4, but I just want to highlight some things here. In Ephesians chapter 4, I just quoted verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But watch what he says. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Did you notice what he says here? Look back up in verse number 13. Till we all... Let me ask you a question. Are you part of that all? If you're part of that all, if you're saved, you're part of that all. He says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. You know what he's saying? Every one of us ought to be growing spiritually. Every one of us ought to be in the unity of the faith. We are united by our faith. Yes, we have different preferences. Yes, we have different ideas. But we are united by our faith in Jesus Christ. We're united by the Great Commission, the gospel message, to preach the gospel to every creature. We're united by that. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, we're growing in our knowledge of God, unto a perfect man. That word perfect there means mature. Again, he's saying that his desire is that Christians grow to maturity, to maturity. And what is the, what is the, the level, what is the, if we could say, what is the pinnacle of maturity? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, Christ is the goal. It's, it's, the church is not the goal. The pastor is not the goal. Christ is the goal. And every one of us ought to be trying to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, how can we say that we're trying to become more like Jesus Christ if we're not willing to invest time in discipleship? How can we say we're trying to become more like Christ if we're not willing to evangelize and try to share the gospel with people? How can we say we're really trying to become more like Christ? It's exciting to me to see um, and through the years, as I mentioned this morning, um, being the pastor now for 11 years, it's exciting for me to, to see different people that are in the church and to know the backstory of those people and how it was maybe through a neighbor that they were invited to church ended up getting saved. And now they're part of the church, or maybe it was because, you know, Hey, some guy was just delivering mail to their house. And they said, hey, why don't you come to church? And through that, God ends up saving this family. And they're in church today. Or through others where maybe it was a coworker trying to talk to somebody. Man, why aren't we all involved? Every one of us ought to be involved in the Great Commission. Why? Because we want to be a strong disciple of Jesus Christ. We are learning, we're following Jesus with the intent to learn, but learning with the intent to obey. He said, go. Am I going? He said, 
teach all nations whatsoever I've commanded you, right? Th- teach them those things that I've, are we obeying? Or have we allowed the world to kind of change our, our thinking? We're just here just to, our purpose is, you know, your job and money and retirement and living a good life and just enjoy it while you can. No, for a Christian, that's not our purpose. For a Christian, our purpose is to reach people with the gospel. Our purpose is to help to train them and to teach them and to help them to grow so that they can be able to go out and tell others about Jesus Christ and they can reproduce spiritually. Are we being the strong disciple that Jesus Christ wants us to be? Are we following his example? Look, he gave us the example. Again, he took 12 men, spent three and a half years with them. And look what God was able to do. Almost 2,000 years later, we're still preaching the same gospel message. How many of the young people quoted it tonight? Wasn't that awesome to see these young people quoting the gospel message? The gospel message, what is it? That Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel message. These young people are learning the gospel message. But why are we teaching them the gospel message? Just so that they can get saved and, and we know they're going to heaven? No. Oh, yes, we're glad that they get saved and we're glad that they're going to heaven. But we want to teach them the gospel message so that as they grow up, they can begin to share the gospel message with others so that they can help others come to know Christ as their Savior, so that they can help disciple them and teach them. Man, I, I'm so excited. Uh, the, the teenagers that we have, the young people in this church, I, I, 20 years from now, I, I'm just, I just cannot wait. I mean, I don't really want 20 years to come like tomorrow or anything, but I mean, it's just going to be so exciting to see in 20 years to see what God is doing with some of these young people and see what God is doing with your families. But hey, let's not wait and just say, well, you know, the Lord is coming. So, you know, we just, we're just not going to do anything. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Hey, the Lord's coming, but we don't know when. So let's do all that we can to reach people with the gospel. Let's evangelize. And let's take those that are getting saved and those that, man, they have, they have a hunger and a desire. Let's, let's help them. Let's help them to grow. You say, well, I'm not discipling that person. Somebody else is discipling them, right? Somebody else is teaching them. Great. Why don't you help them? Why don't you come alongside and say, hey, I want to help you too. I may not be the teacher that's going through the lessons with you, but hey, I want you to know I'm here for you. I want you to know I'm praying for you. Hey, we're going to go out to eat together and, and I'm going to, and any question you want to ask me about the word of God, I want to help you to grow and, and, and I want to help you to, to, to grow in your faith and, and your walk. Why does it just have to be one person? Why, why, wouldn't it be great if there were like two or three or four that would just say, hey, we're going to rally around this person and we're going to help them to grow in their walk with Jesus Christ? doesn't have to just be one person. Why don't we have more surrounding these new believers and saying, hey, you know what? We're going to help you to grow because I guarantee I know the devil's after them. The devil doesn't want them to grow. The devil doesn't want them to, to grow in their walk with Christ. He's going to do everything he can to hinder it. So let's get some spiritually mature Christians out there surrounding them and saying, hey, we're going to be right here for you. And we may not be able to fight the devil off for you, but we're going to stand here and help you. And we're going to encourage you. And we're going to help you any way we can. You know why? Because that's our purpose. Our purpose is to help you to grow. Our purpose is to reach people and help them to grow in the gospel. 
help them to grow in Jesus Christ. We have to reprogram our brains. Really, we have to reprogram our heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, mouth speaketh, right? It's what's really in our heart. We need to change that. Say, Lord, I've got the wrong purpose. I need to get back to what the right purpose is. And that's reaching people the gospel and helping them to grow in their walk with you. Why? Because we want to be strong disciples, strong disciples of Christ. You know why? Because there's another generation coming if the Lord tarries his coming. There's another generation after these. Who's going to teach them? Who's going to help them to grow? If we just say, well, you know, no big deal. Jesus is coming back soon. What happens if he doesn't come back in 40 years? Who's going to be there to teach them? Who's going to be there to encourage them and to keep going with the gospel message? Paul says, the things that thou hast heard of me, Timothy, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We want strong disciples. Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord. It's so important that we understand how vital discipleship is, not just in, in teaching them what you want them to learn, but, Lord, that first aspect of evangelism. Lord, how vital, because if we don't evangelize, if we don't tell anybody about Jesus Christ, then there's no one to teach. There's no one to help grow spiritually. And so, Father, I pray you'd help us in this. Lord, we need our hearts and our brains to be reprogrammed biblically, spiritually, and to realize and recognize our purpose is not just to live the life that we want to live. But, Lord, we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're to teach them about you and help them to come to know Christ. And, yes, that takes time. We're not going to see, we're not going to see somebody saved every time we share the gospel. But, Lord, we still need to share the gospel. We need to plant the seed. We need to water the seed and let you bring the increase. And, Lord, those that do get saved, we as a church and as believers ought to rally around them. And, Lord, encourage them and strengthen them to help them to grow in their walk with you. Lord, that we can produce spiritually mature Christians who are able to spiritually reproduce. Because, Lord, we don't know how much time we have here on this earth. Lord, I don't know how much time I have. And Lord, if I leave this earth, I want there to be others who are able to be able to tell others about Jesus Christ and spiritually reproduce because of the time that I've been able to invest in them. Lord, I pray you'd help us to think about this. What part are we really having in discipleship? How are we involved? Lord, because this is given to every single one of us as Christians. Lord, may every one of us in this church be involved somehow in discipleship, evangelizing, encouraging, strengthening, teaching. Lord, may we desire to multiply and really have that fruit that remains. Lord, that the gospel would continue to go forth. Lord, would you help us in this? I wonder if our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We'll just stand quietly to our feet this evening. No one looking about. Piano's just going to play softly. I wonder.